start at the very beginning of this story that you kind of miss something in the in the whole meaning of it. So we're going to back up quite a bit before where the, the actual lesson text takes place. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. This is, if you remember last week, his brothers had, first they decided to kill him. They were going to throw him in an empty well and just leave him until the put some blood on the coat and tell their dad that a wild animal ate him. And then they decided, well, rather than just kill him, why don't we sell him and we'll make a little bit of money, and then we have that going for us. So they saw this band of Ishmaelites, a caravan going by, and they decided to sell him as a slave. So Joseph ends up in Egypt, and when this caravan comes to a stop, they sell him to somebody in, in Egypt, and this is who he ends up with. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard brought him from the Ishmaelite, bought him from the Ishmaelites that had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Now I want you to remember this scripture right here. Here's a, a young man, 17 years old, that is, his brothers hate him so badly that they want him dead. They sell him off as a slave. He ends up in Egypt, a foreign country people different from his culture completely, ends up as a slave in a man named Potiphar's house. And it says here, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph's care, so he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. The only thing Joseph had to worry about was just eating. Everything else was done. Now Joseph was a well-built was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, if you read on, you'll see that this went on and on. Joseph's just trying to do his job. He's around the house, and the master's wife's hitting on him over and over and over. He keeps, she keeps on until one day the Bible says that there's nobody else in the house but he and his master's wife. <clears throat> she grabs hold of his coat and she tries one more time. Joseph says no, and as he takes off to run, he just leaves his coat behind. You would think that's the end of the story. No. She has his coat. She calls the servants in and tells them that Joseph had attacked her And she screamed, and he ran off, but I held on to his coat. When her husband comes back, she tells him the same story. And then she says in verse 19, this is how your slave treated me. Now, obviously, as you would expect, Potiphar was outraged. He believed his wife. Joseph was a slave. Even though he liked Joseph... He still believed his wife. 
Genesis 39, verses 20 through 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He ends up in what looks like a bad situation as a slave. Things turn around and looking pretty good. He's in charge of the house. And then somebody lies about him, and he ends up in prison. But even in prison, he ends up being favored because God blessed him where he was. Wherever he went, the blessing of God was still there. It wasn't the ideal situation, maybe, as what he would have chosen for his life. And I, I wanted to start this lesson, and I, I didn't do this, but let me just ask you now. If we wrote up here on the front, by this time in my life, I had planned to be, and let you finish that sentence, would it be exactly where you had planned to be? Are you today exactly where you thought you would be if you sat down and thought about it 30 years ago? Probably not. Because a series of events have happened in your life that placed you in different places, but that doesn't mean that God wasn't with you. Joseph never in his life, in his all of his 17 years, sat down one day and said, you know what? I'm thinking my life is going to go in this direction. My brothers are going to hate me so badly they're going to sell me off as a slave. I'm going to end up as a slave in Egypt. And then something bad's going to happen there, and I'm going to end up in prison. No. He was his father's favorite son. As far as he was concerned, life was good for him. And it was going to stay that way for the rest of his life. I'm the spoiled child. Things didn't really go that way. <clears throat> but the Bible says that he had success in whatever he did. Now, you look in prison and you say, well, you don't seem very successful in prison. But he was the top of the guy, top guy in prison. He might have been a prisoner, but he was the top prisoner. And in your life, you might be not exactly where you thought you'd be. But if God is leading your life and you are following after him, I guarantee you, you're exactly where he wants you to be and his blessings will be on you. Genesis 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. So here's Joseph in prison. He's in charge of all the other prisoners. Here's a cupbearer and a baker. That's They're the official cupbearer and baker of the king. They do something that makes the king mad. So the king just throws them in prison. Guess where they end up? With Joseph. They end up in the same prison. And remember, Joseph is in charge. Skip down to verse 4. 
The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, the story goes on. The Bible says after they've been in custody for a while, one night these two men have separate dreams. The next morning they're sitting around and Joseph looks at him and he goes, why do you look so dejected? What's wrong with you guys? Verse 8. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said, do do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the cupbearer, he sits down and he tells Joseph this dream. And Joseph says, well, let me think about that for a minute. Here's what's going to happen. In three days, you're going to be restored to your old position. Skip down to verse 14 and 15. And he tells him, this is the cupbearer that's in prison. Joseph says, you're going to get out of here in three days. And he says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. So you're going to get out in three days. Now keep this in mind. I'm not supposed to be here. So when you get out, you go to Pharaoh and tell him, hey, there's this guy in prison that's not supposed to be there. Can you get him out? And the guy's, oh, sure, no problem, no problem. And Joseph's thinking, this is great. I'm getting out of here too. The chief baker, who is there also and who also had a dream, he hears this interpretation for the cupbearer, and he goes, this is pretty cool. He's getting out of prison. This is great. Tell me what my dream means. And Joseph says, well, let me think about it. Verses 16 through 19. This is his interpretation. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. And he's thinking, oh good, three days, I'm getting out of here. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat away your flesh. And I'm sure he went, take another look at that. You sure that doesn't mean I'm getting out of here in three days? And I'm going to have lots of bread to eat? Nope, that's what it means. You're going to die. Three days pass. Guess what? Happens just like he said. The cupbearer gets out, returned to his old job. The baker, he hangs him. Guess what? Joseph stays right where he was. Guy forgot all about him. Forgot all about him. He just leaves him there. Verse 23. Chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Chapter 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Now, two years ago, this guy got out of jail. And he was supposed to remember Joseph. But he was back at his job. He didn't care. Two years passed, and Pharaoh has a dream. And then in verse 5, you see that he falls asleep and he has another dream. 
In verse 8. In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. You know what? I just thought of something, Pharaoh. I was supposed to tell you something two years ago. When I was, you remember you threw me in prison a couple years ago? Me and the, the baker were in prison together and we had these dreams. And we didn't know what they meant, but there was this guy named Joseph there. And we asked Joseph what these dreams mean and he told me that in three days I was going to get out of jail and be restored to my job and in three days the other guy was going to get killed. And Pharaoh, it happened. Just like he said. Guess what? Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Pharaoh sits Joseph down and says, look, I understand you can, you can understand dreams, interpret dreams, so here's what I want you to do. I had these two dreams. Tell me what they mean. He explains the dreams to Joseph, and Joseph says, well, first of all, those two dreams are one. But here's what it means. It means for the next seven years, there's going to be tremendous abundance in the land. But it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And what God wants you to do is to find someone to oversee all of the crops and everything that over the next seven years, that a fifth of of everything that's grown, 20% of everything that's grown, is stored up so that for the next seven years, there'll be food. Kind of like the first biblical admonition for savings A savings account. Don't spend all you have when you have it, because you might need it when you don't. The rainy day theory. There you go. So, that sounds good. Verse 37 through 41. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. Sounds good. So Pharaoh asked, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom there is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph answered to no one except Pharaoh. He was over the entire kingdom, and there was only one person above him, and that was Pharaoh. And you know who that included? Potiphar. That put him in prison. Now had to answer to Joseph. You see... Had there never been a cistern in the desert, there would never have been a place of blessing in Egypt. Wouldn't have happened. There is no chance in the world that Joseph would have run out into the desert one day and just jumped in a cistern and said, I think I'll sit here and wait on a caravan. Wouldn't have happened. It forced things to happen in God's plan. And we're going to see where this goes. So it goes on, sure enough, just as Joseph said, there was seven years of abundance 
And after that, this famine comes along. And there's nothing. Verse 57. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. It not only struck Egypt, it struck everybody. Meanwhile, back in Canaan at home, where the brothers are, with their dad, they're starving too. The famine has hit them too. They don't have any food. And then there's this next verse. In chapter 42, verse 1, I love this verse. This is so cool. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he asked his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Isn't that great? You just going to sit around here and watch each other starve to death? What do you just keep sitting around looking at each other? Go do something. Verses 2 and 3. He continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Remember there was twelve. Joseph got sold off, so there was eleven. But ten go down to Egypt. The reason there was only ten is Jacob had his youngest son named Benjamin. He did not want Benjamin to go down there just in case something happened. This is my youngest son. I'm not going to allow something to happen to him too. The last time I sent somebody off with you guys, he didn't come back. So no, you're not taking Benjamin. Leave him here. So ten of the brothers go down there. They show up to buy grain. Verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. This is where the story starts to get really cool. Through verse 11. Then he remembered his dreams about them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. We're just plain old ordinary guys. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. And he accused them of being spies. He knew exactly who they were. I think he was just having a little fun. He couldn't say it to anybody else, but in his mind he's going, watch this. You guys are in trouble. So anyway, Joseph goes on with this accusation thing, and finally he just puts him in jail for three days, which was probably somewhat satisfying for him. Genesis 39. Oops, that's not where we are. At the end of three days... He tells that tells him all of them can leave except one. He says the you brothers are to take back food to your land so your family doesn't starve to death, but one of you is going to stay behind until you bring back that youngest brother you said you had. 
Because, see, I don't believe you. I really don't believe that you from Canaan and that your father lives there and you're honest guys and you have a younger brother and all that. So I'm going to keep one of you here in jail until you go and bring back the youngest brother. Okay, whatever. So Simeon ends up being detained. Verse 21 through 24. They said one to another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when we when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Joseph had learned the language of the Egyptians. When he spoke to them, he spoke to them in his new language he had learned through an interpreter. And so they're standing here talking like he doesn't have a clue what they're saying, and he knows exactly what they're saying. Oh. Oh. Going on. He turned away from them and began to weep. But then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. And then Joseph tells his people, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these bags they brought to to buy food and grain and all that. I want you to fill them up with grain and put them back on their animals to take back home. But along with the grain... The bags of silver that they brought to pay for the grain, I want you to stick them in those bags too. Sounds good. That night, they're headed home. They stop. One of the brothers opens up his bag to look inside it, and he sees that bag of silver and goes, Oh, no. Oh, no. This guy didn't like us already, and now he's going to think we're thieves. It just can't get any worse than this. In fact, in verse 28, my silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. (coughs) Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, now listen to this, what is this that God has done to us? How many times do we get ourselves in situations, and it's because of things we've done, and when we get down to the bottom of the situation, we look around and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Uh, I didn't. See, sometimes the situations we find ourselves in are just bad choices we made. Our life is about choices. Everything in our life is about choices. And sometimes when we find ourselves in a bad situation, it's because of bad choices that we've made. But you know what? It doesn't mean that God's not there. Even though there was silver in the bag that made him look bad, What else was in the bag? Food. So the blessings of God were still there. It's just that the situation around it didn't look good. Sometimes when we get in situations, we look so much at the negative part of it, and we don't see that there are some blessings around at the same time. Verses 29 through 35. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. 
But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men like you say you are. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land here. Sounds good. So some time passes. And as they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was a pouch of silver. When they and their father saw money pouches, they were frightened. It wasn't just the one brother. It was every one of them. Verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Have you ever felt that way? Everybody hates me. The entire world is against me. God, why have you done this to me? And all God's trying to do is bless them. He's just trying to get them to the place where they can be blessed. To where they are open to what the blessings of God are. And sometimes God has to to kind of move us around in our lives to get us to the place where He can bless us. Jacob tells him, I'll tell you this, you're not taking Benjamin back to Egypt. So some more time passes. Chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. Remember, Simeon's still in jail. And it was like, he just, remember, Jacob said, I've lost two sons. He just wrote Simeon off. I've lost Joseph and Simeon. But now they're out of food again. Remember, this famine was going to last for seven years. Maybe a couple years have passed. And Judah says, Dad, that man told us we can't come back there unless we bring our younger brother. And if we don't bring him, he's going to think we're spies and he's just going to kill all of us. Verses 6 and 7. Israel, which is Jacob, asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? Isn't that great? And listen to this. They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked? Do you have another brother? We simply answered his question. How were we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Isn't this great? He asked us a simple question. We just answered his question. We never thought he'd say, well, go get him and bring him back.
just everything, just let loose. Now, keep in mind, in that day, there was no greater goal than preserving the family line. There was also no greater sin, really, than doing something that would endanger the family line. The brothers had already done that by having Joseph, what they thought was gone, and Jacob's thinking, I've lost one son. Simeon's probably dead. And I'm just not sending Benjamin back. But here's the thing. His choice to not send Benjamin back, if he would have stuck to that, it would have meant that they starved to death where they were, and the family line, as far as they knew, was ended. Because this is the way I want to do it. No, you're not taking your brother. And sometimes we get so set in the goal and the pattern that we have set out for our life that we can't find the blessing of God because it's not like our pattern. Jacob finally, I guess he got hungry enough, he said, okay, take your brother and go. But here's what I want you to do. Take twice as much silver, the money that he thinks you stole, take that, and then take more to buy the next bunch of grain. But I want you to also take some special gifts. He told him to take some honey, some spices, some nuts, just whatever we have that, that is like really special. I want you to take that back. So they take off and head back to Egypt. Doesn't it amaze you that this trip they're making back and forth is just a matter of a short time back and forth, even though it's quite a distance? But it took them 40 years to get there? Eventually. When they left Egypt, after they had been there for all these years, it took them 40 years to wander around to get right back where they were. You know why? Still weren't following God. They get to Egypt. Joseph sees that Benjamin's with him. And he has this huge dinner, this feast prepared for his brothers. And it says he doesn't eat with them. And the other Egyptians don't eat with him because it says that it was like a disgusting thing for them to eat with the Israelites. But he has his brothers seated at the table from the oldest to the youngest. Coincidence? You know when they sat down and the guy said, okay, you sit here, you sit here, and they look down the table and go, oldest, next. Okay, this is a little weird. You see, sometimes when we are in the middle of a struggle, we need to look at the little things that God's trying to show us. See, if they'd really been paying attention, they would have known that there's something going on here. All it says in the Bible is that they were astonished. They still weren't catching on. But see, there's times when we can be in the worst situation ever, and still around us are all these little signs that God's trying to show us that He's still there. This was one of those. If we pay attention, God will show us that He's there in our darkest hour. That's right. Chapter 44, verses 1 and 2. 
Now, Joseph gave these instructions. This is after the dinner's over, and then the next day comes around. He gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Here we go again. And then put my cup, the silver one, you know, the silver one that I keep right there in front of me when I'm eating, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. Think about it. Father's favorite son. I'm not letting him go. Okay, we're starving, so let him go. Now, the king's favorite silver cup. You know the one that I use all the time? Put that in his sack. So they leave. They get out of town a little ways. Joseph tells his steward, go after him. Verse 4 and 5. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? And then go over to the, the youngest one's bag of grain and open it up and say, isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you've done. And the brothers say, if, if one of us has stolen a cup, you, you let him die and the rest of us will be slaves. They return to Egypt. They open up the bags. They find silver again in the bags. They find the cup in Benjamin's bag. And they're brought before Joseph. These brothers at this time are thinking, we're all dead. Those things we did to our our little brother Joseph, it's coming back to us. Verses 18 and 20, 18 through 20. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you're equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father there, and there's a young boy born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he's the only one of my mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Look, I know you're a powerful man, but we told you the truth. Our father's old, and we brought back our brother. Let's get down to verse 33. Now then, please let your servant, let me remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No. Do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. 
Judah offers to take Benjamin's place to save his father from losing another son. At this point, they've passed the test. They've put the good of their father, the good of their family, ahead of their own selfish interest and jealousy. All that needed to be done. God caused a series of events to teach them something and to bless them. See, when things happen to us that aren't exactly like we planned, it isn't always just to teach us a lesson. Most of the time, there's a blessing that goes along with it. Because when we look down in chapter 45, verse 1 through 7, this is where it all comes about. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Wow. Now, Egypt was a different kind of place. Rich in crops livestock, precious metals, a lot more cultured than where they came from. Genesis 46 and 33 and 34. When Pharaoh calls you in, this is Joseph a little bit later on in the story. He says, when Pharaoh calls you in and asks what's your occupation, you should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our father did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen. This is why. For all shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. We're going to send you out to this place called Goshen. Because the Egyptians, they just hate shepherds. So there was a little bit different lifestyle. Egypt was very culturally advanced. These people were nomads. They lived in tents and moved around wherever there was grass for the sheep to eat. They weren't very sophisticated. Most of Egyptians were, were brown-skinned and had stiff brown hair. Most Canaanites had more of an olive-colored skin, complexion, and dark brown or black hair. But this is a key. Without Joseph in power, there is no way that these people would have been accepted in this foreign land. 
No way. And Joseph was a different person now than he was when he was 17. He promises his brothers, I'm not trying to get you back. I know you're probably thinking that you did wrong to me, so you deserve it. But that's that's not why I'm here. I'm here so that I can take care of you now. God has blessed me so that I can bless you. All those things that I had to go through, I didn't like them, but I understand them. And because of that, I'm a better person. And because I'm a better person, my family can now be blessed. Joseph sends his brothers back to get his father. And they bring all their family and their family's family back to Egypt. And they actually end up in the best part of Egypt, in that place called Goshen. That was a beautiful place. And his father lived there until he died. And when he died, it says they took him back to Canaan and buried him. But after his father, their father died, the brothers got scared again. And they said, well, now that our father's gone, are you going to, you going to come after us now? And one more time, Joseph had to remind them, that's in the past. I'm not looking to get revenge on you. And God blessed them in this place as long as Joseph was alive. When we first start this story, we don't see any good that could possibly become of it. The intentions of the brothers, there was no good intent. Self-serving, hatred in their hearts, But God's purpose for Joseph exceeded the bad reasoning of his brethren. Where Joseph probably figured this was going to be a place where he was going to have a horrible life, he went through some bad times, but he ended up in a better life than he'd ever had before. Because God placed him there. And when he was in the will of God, God took care of him. And I'm sure there were times when God won, when Joseph wondered like his brothers did, God, why are you doing this to me? I haven't done anything. Why are you punishing me? And there's times if, if most of y'all are, are older than I am, and there's times I'm sure in your life, cause I know there's been times in my life that I question that same thing and say, God, why, why is this happening to me? I don't see the reasoning for this. At that point, we have a choice. We can choose to continue to trust God, or we can turn and say, I'll just do it on my own. That's the choices we have. We cannot see past today. I can't. And a lot of times it's not until after the struggle is over 
that we look back and say, now I understand. I got it now. It's after we've gone through it and look back. You know why? Because we can't see tomorrow. We can't see next week. That's what he said. Even when it seems that no good can come out of a situation, we have to continue to believe that God knows what he's doing and see the light with our heart, even though all our eyes see is darkness. Why can we trust God when we don't understand what he's doing? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How can we go on when it doesn't seem like it makes sense? Because God's ways are above our ways. Or forsake us. One of his elementary teachers thought he'd be a great artist, but when he submitted a collection of his cartoon drawings to a high school yearbook in St. Paul, Minnesota, they were rejected. That rejection and other traumas he suffered early in life, such as his mother's death from cancer, served to inspire him and gave him material to write about. In 1950, his comic strip about a life as seen through a group of kids debuted in a Minneapolis newspaper and later became an international phenomenon. The artist was Charles Schultz. Sometimes a bad break may be just what God needs to craft our lives more fully for his purposes. And you may feel like, as you sit in this place this morning, like you are in that cistern in the, de- in the desert, in a dry well, all by yourself, because of things that are happening in your life. Maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's an illness that, that just seems to just hold on. Maybe it's finances. Regardless what it is, Sometimes it's hard for us to see past the event to see what God is trying to accomplish with it. And there's a section in your your Sunday School Quarterly, and it says, I know that God is working in my life because he has already, and then you fill in the blank. I know that God is working in my life because he has already what? Sure. In the third chapter of Joshua, 
This is later on. The people have been in Egypt for all these years, and they finally left, and they're headed back to where they came from. And after 40 years of wandering around in the desert, they're at the Jordan River getting ready to cross over into Canaan. And they were going to cross into the Canaan land, the promised land. And in the third chapter, in verse 17, it says that they crossed on dry land. What it says. After they had crossed, God told Joshua to take 12 men, one from each tribe, to go back to the middle of Jordan, and each man was to pick up a stone. Now, the Jordan was still dry. Over here is where they started. This is Jordan here. They crossed. It's a little bit wider than this. But they cross across on dry land. They get over here, and God says, tell the men to go back and get a stone each of these 12 people. Take those stones, and I want you to build an altar on this side. Joshua 4 and 6. To serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So, to answer that question, I know that God is working in my life because He has already... We look back at the things that He's already done for us. And we talked about this one time before. We take those things and we use them as an altar of remembrance. And when we are faced with a situation, we look back at that and say, I know God will take care of me because He's already done this, this, this. And I remember the time He did this. And our faith is built. Sure. We know that God will take care of us because His promises in here are to us. If these promises are not to us, who are they for? These aren't bedtime stories. These are examples of people of God that He has used and things they've gone through and how He delivered them. And if we believe this is the Word of God, then these promises are to us. Doesn't mean you'll always understand. Doesn't mean you'll always like it. Corey Ten Boom said this, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. And so many times in life, when we start seeing things close in around us and we don't like what's happening, the first thing we want to do is tear up our ticket and jump off the train and find another way. If it was God's will to get on that train, stay on the train. Now, if you find yourself in realizing that God didn't want me to get on this train, then maybe I ought to get off. But if you know you're following the will of God... No matter where it takes you, it's what? It's still the will of God. The will of God will not always be roses. I doubt very seriously that there were very many roses in the bottom of that cistern in the middle of the desert. 
That's just my guess. When he was a slave in that caravan, I'm sure we talked last week about how the rich people rode on camels and the poor people walked or rode donkeys. I'm guessing the slaves probably walked. That wasn't fun. When he was in prison, even though he was in charge of the other prisoners, you're still in prison. That wasn't a good place. But the one thing that's in common in the cistern, being dragged behind a camel, being in prison, the one thing that all those had in common is that God was with him and blessed him no matter where he was. As God does things in our lives, we need to build up those altars of remembrance. This helps to build and sustain when we go through the tough times. God loves you. See, that's hard for us to accept sometimes. Because the devil doesn't want us to believe that God loves me. But he does. And I'll close with this. Remember this. When you can't see God's hand, you can still trust his heart. The word has not changed. That fact that God loves you has not changed. No matter where you are in your life today, no matter what situation you're faced with, If you are in the will of God and you know in your knower that you're in the will of God, God is there with you and everything will go just like He wants it to go. And you will be okay. God bless you.